Genesis chapter 18 is where I'm going to be this morning. Genesis chapter 18. And uh, we're going to just be talking about Abraham this morning. Abraham, the friend of God and man. Because Abraham was a friend of God. And to truly be a friend of man, you must be first a friend of God. Amen? We have to get the cart behind the horse, not ahead of the horse. I'm not truly your friend until I really understand who I am in Christ. Because even man's best efforts leave something far lacking at the end of it all. We, we can be, quote, good, comparatively speaking, but we're never good until we're in Christ. So Abraham is a, to me, I, I love Abraham because not only is he the father of the Jewish people, of the, the nation of Israel by faith, but he's also our spiritual forefather as well. Well before the nation of Israel, well before even Moses and the law, and well, certainly well before the New Testament church, the Bible says that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to his spiritual bank account. Isn't that good? There was a credit, that righteousness that we all must have by faith. Abraham saw afar off. He saw not only a city, a coming city, but he also saw, I believe, in his mind's eye and his heart's eye, he saw the suffering Savior that was going to come for us. And he believed that by faith. So I love Abraham. I love his life. And a long time before he became Abraham, he was Abram. And there's a big story there. But this that we're going to read this morning, I believe, is a beautiful picture of the triune God that we serve. There's three strangers that come to Abraham in chapter 18. And I believe they give us a picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not only do I believe that, I believe Abraham is a type of God the Father. And I believe that his son Isaac, that child of promise, is a beautiful picture of Jesus, God the Son. And if you go, I think it's in chapter 25 of Genesis, or 26 maybe, but if you go there and read the account of when Abraham sends his servant back to where he came from to find Isaac a bride, he doesn't name that servant. We're not told the servant's name. It's, but I believe that's a beautiful picture of the Spirit of God because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing today. He is busy calling a people out of this world to come to Jesus that they might become a part of the bride of Christ. And I believe we get a beautiful picture with Abraham and his family of what it truly means to serve and know the one true and living God who comes, is one God, yet three distinct personalities. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that's what the scriptures teach. Uh, to believe otherwise is heresy. But God is faithful, amen? He is a friend to us. Let's read about Abraham. We're going to read the first eight verses and then we'll kind of kick things off. 
It says in uh, Genesis 18, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself down to the ground, toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd. He's doing a lot of running here, by the way. And, and By the way, he's, he's 99 years old. He's running. He said, Make ready three measures of fine meal. Make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man. And he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. Let's pray together. Lord God, take this word this morning and do what only you can do. God, through the simple preaching of your word, may we hear, may we respond, and may we bless you and grow from having been here. May you be blessed by us having been here. God, may we praise you. May we truly worship you in spirit and in truth that, God, we didn't come here to offer a vain oblation, but, God, we came here to truly bow before the King of kings and give you all praise and glory for which you richly deserve. Thank you for life. Thank you for this group of people that have come. God, change us from who we are to where we ought to be. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love this passage of Scripture for a lot of reasons. And all jokes aside, it, it is amazing when you think about it, this man Abraham, because, you know, picture with me. They didn't have air conditioning back in those days. We think it's hot in here, a little stuffy when you first come in. Look, I remember the days when they raised the windows and the wasps were in here and everything else. Because, and you had those old funeral home fans. You remember the funeral home fans? You sit back there and fan yourself. They didn't have air conditioning. Abraham lived in a tent, a big tent, a fancy tent now. And for his day and time, a half a million dollar tent, okay? But at the same time, at the end of the day, it was a tent. And it's hot. You know that time after lunch, if you're not real busy, and you're just kind of sitting there, how easy it is for your eyelids to kind of droop down and you can go to sleep. Abraham's probably sitting there in the heat of the day and he's probably about half dozed off and all of a sudden, behold, there's three men standing before him. And what does he do? He doesn't tell a young servant boy or girl to, y'all go out there and see who that is. He gets up. He attends to it. The Bible says that he ran to them. 
He ran to meet them. My first thought about this whole thing is, is one simple statement. Abraham ministered to the Lord. He didn't abdicate his responsibility to serve and worship God to someone else. You know, sadly in the American church, that's a lot of what we do. That's the preacher's responsibility. That's the deacon's responsibility. That's the Sunday school teacher's responsibility. That's someone else's responsibility. Well, my daddy raised me to such on the farm. If you saw something that needed to do it, just go ahead and do it. No one can worship God for you. You must worship God personally. From a deep-seated love and a desire to to make him worthy, to make him feel that you... We can't give him too much worship. Can y'all understand that? We can't serve him too much. We can't love God. He's the only thing you can't have too much of. You can have too much bluebell ice cream and can't get through them double doors. Bless your heart. You could eat too many ding-dongs. They're not good for you. They are good, though. Amen. I like ding-dongs. I like my mama's sausage cheese biscuits. I had three this morning. I should have stopped after one or two, but I didn't. They're good. But too many of them are bad for you. Well, you can't get too much of Jesus. There's just there's no way to overdo it. He's good for the soul. And Abraham realized something. To be ministered to, I need to minister back to him. I need to give him, even though... There's no way I can give him what he's worth. He's valuable to me. Because see, I believe he was showing hospitality to a guest. And I want to say this, at at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. Because I believe that Abraham immediately knew he recognized the presence of God. Because it says in verse 3, he said, my Lord. And that word Lord is rendered Adonai, which is the formal name that you give God. That's his formal title. He's Adonai. He is the Lord. So Abraham recognizes that, that he's the Lord. But at the same time, I believe Abraham would have been hospitable to a rank stranger a homeless person off the street, someone who didn't appeal to the eye, I still think Abraham would have took him in. Now, would he got up and run out there? I I don't know. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't say that, so I don't want to go beyond what Scripture says, but I do believe in my heart that Abraham was the type of person who would have been hospitable to anyone. But he had the spiritual perception to recognize who he was standing in the presence of. And see, I believe this, folks. I believe there are many times in our daily lives when God passes by our way, but we're so busy or we're so bored by life circumstances that we don't even recognize he's there. And I want to challenge you this morning Don't go out looking for the big thing. Don't go out looking for the next great revival. 
Don't go over to the next town where you hear there's some meetings going on and the whole, everybody's full of the Holy Ghost and they're doing this and doing that. Why don't you just hunker down right where you live and work and do all your living and find God in the finite details of your everyday life. It'll surprise you. It will, ama- it will, it will amaze you if you go looking for God how you'll see Him. I see him in my grandson's face. I see him in some of the people that come into the barber shop. I, I see him when he, he makes someone come in there and all I do is share my story about where I'm going, what the Lord's doing in my life, and he gives me money. He says, take that for your trip. I see him all the time. I see him everywhere. Sometimes, though, I'm not looking for him, and I don't see him. When he's right there, sometimes, many times, he's right there in our face. So he ministered to the Lord. He showed hospitality. He had the spiritual perception to know that he was standing in the presence of God. And here's another thing that he did. He quickly obeyed what he knew God would want him to do. Again, I think this is so important. Abraham has servants. He has men servants. He has female servants. He has all these people to take care of all these things. But he personally gets up. And he doesn't stroll. He doesn't amble. He doesn't take his time. The 99-year-old man, Brother George, gets up and runs. You know why? I believe he knew that time was of an essence. I believe he knew time was important, but he also was just eager to be in the presence of God. What if we got up on Sunday mornings with a different attitude about coming to church? Instead of dragging in late, how about we got there early? Even though we may be wore out from the week, I, I, get, I was tired last night. I put up gutters at my house yesterday. And I was tired, but you know what? I got up this morning and I said, I get to go worship with God's people. I get to go be in the house of the Lord. It makes me excited. And it's not just because I got to preach this morning. Even on those Sundays I don't get to preach, I'm excited about going to the Lord's house to be with God's people, to worship Him. It's important Nobody, again, I want to stress that no one can worship God for me. And no one can worship God for you. You have to make a personal decision to make an act of obedience to do what God would have you to do. Nobody forced Abraham's hand. He willingly gave himself to the Lord. So Abraham ministered to the Lord, but I want just to see something else. He also ministered to his wife. Abraham ministered to Sarah. Look at verse 9 where we left off. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. I would have laughed too, honestly. 
been like my mama saying, I'm going to have another one. She already had my baby sister long after I came along. I'm 20 years older than her. That was a surprise enough. I think I'd just have a heart attack and go on to be with the Lord if she said it again. It says, Now Abraham and Sarah, uh, excuse me, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid, and he said, No, you did laugh. Now let's just pause there. There's nothing in that passage of Scripture that says Abraham was the greatest husband in the world. There's nothing there that says Abraham really ministered to his wife. But now, I do want to look back over the course of Abraham's existence. See, when we, meet, when we first meet Abraham, his name is not Abraham, it's Abram. And Abraham is not a man of faith quite, quite yet. Abram is a pagan, living in a pagan country. But see, God speaks to him, and he doesn't give him the five-year plan, the two-year plan, the 15-year plan, the 20-year plan. He just says, Abram, it's time to go. There's a land I'm going to show you. I'm not giving you the GPS coordinates because it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, and you're going to learn many things on the journey. But he said, I want you to leave everything you've ever known at 75 years old of age, by the way. He's already retired. He's got his, his pension plan. Is already, his 401k is doing well. He's a blessed man. But he says, now pull up your tent stakes and follow me. Abram didn't quibble. He didn't say anything. It just says he took his wife. He gathered up his possessions. And his, his nephew Lot went with him. And the Bible says that Sarah was so beautiful. Even at that stage in her life. She's, he's 75 when they left. She's 65. Still a beautiful woman. Her name means princess. You know that, right? And see, Abram treats his wife like a prince. Now, Abram made a lot of mistakes along the way. One of those mistakes was they went down into Egypt and he, lied. he got Sarah to lie about who she was. He said, they're going to try to win you over and they might kill me in the process. Tell them you're my sister, which is a half-truth which is nothing more than a full-blown lie. Amen? There are no half-truths. There are no half-lies. There's the truth and there's a lie. The American church really needs to learn that nowadays because there are a lot of liars out there, wolves in sheep's clothing in the Lord's church. And the people, bless their hearts, the flock doesn't have the spiritual discernment anymore to know the Word of God for themselves, to know who's lying and who's not. So I, anybody off the street can come in there in a lot of places. 
mix in a little bit of a lie with the truth and they can get everybody to follow. They can drink the Jim Jones Kool-Aid all the way, right? But see, even though Abram stumbled along the way, even though there were times in his life when he didn't do what God want, would have him to do, Abraham provided for his family. He took care of his family. And if you, if you go back and read the life of Abram in the scriptures, you will see that Abraham treated his wife like the princess she was. See, there's a reason that Sarah still wanted to have a child, and it was more than just to be a mother. She wanted to please Abraham as well, and that is a sign of a man who knows how to take care of his wife. Because you see, we've had this age-old debate for years and years and years and years about, you know, we love to pull up, we men love that passage of Scripture where it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord and everything. That doesn't mean we drag them around by the hair of the head with our club over our shoulder and, and honey, bring me my meal and honey, bring me this and you're my little personal slave. We know it doesn't mean that. But have we ever thought, men, about the next verse says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Now that's a tall order. And that's impossible unless the Spirit of God dwells within us because none of us are worthy of the love of God, right? But think how much that a man that loves God, loves Jesus with all of his heart, will in turn love his wife and make her feel like she's the only woman in the room in a room full of crowded people. That she's the most important person in his life. Even during the struggles, even during the bad times, even during all those times, I seek to make Lisa feel like she's the only woman in the world because for me she is. God told me, that's your wife, you take care of her. There's no one else that exists for that relationship now. You've made a covenant with her, you take care of her. And the reason Lisa looks so beautiful, I think, is part of it is because she is beautiful. But it's because I reflect the glory of God upon her too. There's a light that shines on her from without. That's the glory of God. If a man really loves his wife, she will respond in kind. Sarah responded to the love of God and to the love of her husband because Abraham ministered to his wife. you got to read between the lines to find all these nuggets, but they're there. So husbands love your wives. And wives, when you've got a good godly husband, don't make him fight over everything, okay? Submit yourselves unto your husband in spiritual matters as unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. So he ministered to his wife, and the last thing is he ministered to the lost world. He not only loved God, he not only ministered to the Lord, that, that is first, amen? He ministered to his family, but he also ministered to the lost world. Let's pick back up in verse 16. It says, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, 
Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. I love this part there. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. That's important. Now, we're going to stop right there, and for time's sake, we probably won't read the rest of it. But I just want to refresh your memory. In the rest of chapter 18, what goes on when Abraham hears the news that God's going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. See, his nephew Lot's down there, by the way. Lot is now living in the city of Sodom. It's important. But there's also a bunch of other people down there that Abraham doesn't know. And Abraham begins to intercede on their behalf. He's concerned about their spiritual eternal welfare. And he begins to negotiate terms with God. He starts off and he says, Lord, there's got to be 50 people down there. Would you destroy a whole city for the sake of 50? Well, God says, no, I, I won't destroy it if there's 50 righteous. And so he starts negotiating. I, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't even be talking to you about this, but let's say they lack five of that. There's 45. No, I won't for 45. He goes to 40. And then he jumps down from 40 to 30. And the Lord says, no, I won't. Then he goes to 20. And then he goes to 10. And the Lord said, I won't do it for 10's sake. And Abraham doesn't negotiate anymore. And of course, we know the outcome. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. All that was there that got out was Lot and his daughters. Even his wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. He got out of there with not much. But I wonder in all of this negotiation, surely Abraham thought, surely there are ten righteous there. I mean, Lot's there. Surely he told them about Jehovah. Surely his witness and his family, you know, there's got to be ten there. But let's back up to what we read earlier. The two men are going on their way. But Abraham is still standing before God. And then that's when God says, I don't need to hide this from Abraham. I need to tell him what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my secrets with him. Here's my thought, folks. To be a good intercessor, we first have to have intimacy with God. Because God doesn't share his deepest, dark his secrets with everyone. Does that mean God plays favorites? Certainly not. But does God have intimates? I do believe. You see, I love all of you, but I don't know all of you like I know some of you in this room. Does that mean I, don't, I love you less or that you're... No. 
What, but what it does mean is I have an intimacy with a certain person in this room that goes well beyond anybody else in this room. Does that mean I favor her over you? No, but it, she's very intimate with me. She carried me. She gave birth to me. She taught me. She loved me. She cooked for me. She ironed my jeans when I was in high school, which I told her not to, but she did anyway because she loves me. And she didn't want her boy walking around with wrinkly britches. We have an intimacy. Does that mean I play favorites over it? No. That just means we're intimate. And God has intimates. And if, you're, if you truly care about lost people, God will share His burden with you. And you can't help but be burdened about people being lost. And that means at any cost... You will go to them personally and you will witness because you can't wait for somebody else to do everything. Amen? And what I see sadly in many of our churches, there is very little concern for lost people out there. And I think that stems, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I think that stems from the lack of intimacy that we ourselves have with a holy God. Because you can't help but be around Jesus and not be burdened over lost people. Amen? He said, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come here to be entertained. I didn't come here to entertain you. I didn't come here to give you your best life now. I came here to seek and save the lost. That's all there is. So if I'm going to be a good intercessor, the first thing I need to do is get intimate with God. Now, that comes at a cost because you are going to be burdened with the same things that burdened Jesus. You are going to bear your cross. The world's not going to like you, for one thing. They're going to hate your guts. But you know what? It's, it's all worth it to walk with Jesus. And it's all worth it to know that at the end of my days I'm going to stand in His presence for all of eternity. And that He loves me just as much as He loves anyone. He couldn't love me any more and He certainly couldn't love me any less than He loves anyone in this room right now. That is a blessed thought to know that He loves us. So if you want to be an intercessor and you want to you want to pray for lost people and you want to be a witness, you first need to get close to God. Then he stood in God's presence. It wasn't, he got invited to stand before God. He could have went on his way with the other two and said, thanks Abraham, see ya. Abraham's standing there, y'all come back. But he didn't, he said, I don't need to keep this from him. I'm going to tell him. So Abraham was standing where he needed to be standing. There's a lesson in that, amen? Sometimes we're running around like a squirrel on a, one of them little roller coaster deals. Slow down. Stand before God before you go off and stand somewhere else. And that's the last thought I had too. At the end of his negotiations, look at the last verse in chapter 18 as we close. Verse 33 says this, And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, 
And Abraham returned unto his place. I just want to tell you in closing, stop looking for the will of God and start living in the will of God. I hear Christians, I have Christians ask me all the time, Brother Jeff, I just don't know God's will for me. I said, I don't either. I said, if you're looking for that big sign in the sky, if you're looking for the destination, if you're looking for the 10-year plan, the 5-year plan, the 2-year plan, the 30-year plan, I said, you'll never find God's will. But I said, what I will tell you is this, you will live God's will if you just get up every morning and say, here I am, Lord. And get your Bible out. And start obeying not what you don't know to do, but what you do know to do. That's where most people fail. They're so concerned about what they don't know that they don't even obey what they do know. And until I start living out what I do know in this book, I might as well chunk the rest of it because he's never going to tell me what's going to happen 15 years from now if I'm living in disobedience today. So when the Lord gets through communing with you, just go be in your place. If that means cutting hair, get after it. If that means teaching school, get after it. If that means raising grandkids, get after it. But do it all in the name of Jesus.